0: Alright, take your Bibles and go to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, as we launch into this uh, book this morning, where we will be for the next, oh, three months or so, three, four, five, six, who knows, uh, roughly three months. Um, What we're going to see this morning is Nehemiah's reaction when he receives uh, a bit of bad news. And so I want you to think really quickly, maybe just think over, over some, uh, some piece of bad news that you've received at some point in your life. Um, you know, maybe that, was, uh, maybe that was something really devastating, like, like the loss of a loved one and in that phone call. Uh, that you got and, and how you reacted. Maybe, maybe it was even something as much as, um, "Hey, you! Uh, um, thanks for interviewing. Uh, we appreciate it. We've decided to go in another direction. Um, whatever." But just think, think through some sort of bad news that you've received and how you reacted. And what we're going to see this morning is how Nehemiah reacted when he receives um, bad news. And so, if you will, and if you are able, as we read, we're going we're to be in. From the beginning of chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 8. So we have a pretty sizable chunk uh, that we're going to read this morning. But for for our time right now, uh, I want us just to focus on chapter 1. It's 11 verses. And so if you will stand with me as we read the word that the Lord has given to us this morning. Word of the Lord says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. During the month of Kislev in the twentieth year, When I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down, and its gates have been burned. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This is where we get into his prayer. Verse 5 says, I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people's But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I choose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this great passage. Will you draw us into an attitude of prayer this morning as we look at the words of Nehemiah's prayer? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, thank you. You can have a seat. So so a little bit of background here, and and this is probably, there's probably enough background information to to warrant its own message. I'm going to give you uh, the snippet view, okay? Uh, All through the Old Testament, when. Beginning in Joshua, when the people of Israel inhabit the promised land, God told them, listen, if you keep my covenant, if you keep my commands, um, things will go well for you. If you turn away and you do not keep my commands, things will not go well for you. Over and over and over again, this is the message that God had for his people. If you keep my commands, you'll be blessed. Things will go well for you. If you turn away from my commands, bad things will happen. And so, what happens is, time and time again, the children of Israel turn away from God. In fact, the whole book of Judges reads like this hodgepodge of, of, almost like a comedy of errors. Like, the people would turn away and bad stuff would start happening and they would cry out, why is bad stuff happening to us? And the Lord would say, because I told you, if you obey what I've said, things will go well for you. If you don't, things will go bad. Why are things going? Okay, so, so we need to repent. So they repented and things went well and then they would turn away and things would go bad. Why are things going bad for us? And eventually God says, listen, if you don't turn back to me, you're going to be destroyed. After the reign of Solomon, the, the kingdom of Israel is divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel is almost, is almost immediately uh, taken over. The southern kingdom of Judah lasts for roughly 150 more years before they're eventually invaded and carried off. And it's after they've been carried off, after this exile has happened, that Nehemiah is riding. And so he hears, he sees one of his friends, one of his brothers from Jerusalem. He says, hey, tell me how the people who are still in Jerusalem are doing. And the, the news that he gets from this guy named uh, Hanani is it's not going well. The walls of the city have been broken down, meaning... Uh, they were defenseless. They were defenseless against attacks. Things are not going well. And we see in verse 4 Nehemiah's reaction. This literally knocks his legs out from underneath him. He says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days. So in uh, in verse 1, we're told that this happens in the month of Kislev. Now, in our calendar, that is uh, in November and December. So late November, early December is where this is where he receives this news. And his immediate reaction is, I'm going to pray. Maybe because he didn't know what else to do, but his reaction is he hits the, the ground, he fasts, he mourns, and he prays. And so here's the big idea for this morning. Before God calls us to act, he calls us to pray before God calls us to act. See, Nehemiah didn't immediately get a band together and say, okay, here's the situation, guys. Jerusalem's in ruins. Uh, Things are really bad. We've got to go fix it. I'm going to take it upon myself. We're going to go fix this thing. He says, no, I need to seek out the Lord in this matter. What would he have me do? He prays. And so what we're going to see this morning is is a pattern in his prayer that, that, that should be, or could be, should be a pattern for our own prayers. The first thing we see that, that Nehemiah does is he praises God. Look with me at verse 5. I said, Lord, the God of heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God, who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. So, so what's he doing here? Because he's praying to God. Is he telling God who he is? And, it, like, it, I hope you don't have this picture of God in heaven going, hey, I am awe-inspiring, aren't I? Okay, peasant, I'll listen to what you have to say. No, that, that's not the way God's doing it. What's he doing? Is he reminding God of who he is? No, he's reminding himself of who God is. He's, he's reminding himself whom he is addressing. I am addressing the awe-inspiring God, but not just that, it's a, it's a God who keeps his gracious covenant. And he keeps his commands. See, Nehemiah is reminding himself that, that the God he speaks, he's speaking to is not this terrifying dictator who's waiting to strike with lightning anybody who makes a misstep. No, he is gracious, slow to anger, and loving. Uh, and, and so listen, here's why I say this is, this is important for us to start our, our prayers with, with praise, because it reminds us who we we're talking to. And I think that puts everything else into perspective. And so maybe, if you have a a hard time starting with that, um, Nehemiah's words here echo some of the Psalms. Um, And so I would say if you you need to be reminded of who God is, if you need to have your picture of, of God clarified a bit, go to the Psalms. And particularly the one that I pulled out this morning is Psalm 145. Uh, on the screen, I've put 1 through 13. I know I didn't put all that on your page simply because it wouldn't fit on there. But, but follow along with me here, either in the app or on the screen, and, and let's, let's look at who the psalmist declares God is. Psalm 145 says, I exalt you, my God the King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. I will honor your name forever and ever. Yahweh, the, the Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wonderful works. They will, pro, they will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness, and I will joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. All you have made will thank you, Lord. The godly will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all His actions. Doesn't that cause us to stand in awe of who God is? And and so listen, the the reason that I say that is because um, suddenly if we have a list of demands, I'm sorry, a list of requests that that we have to bring to God, and and we're suddenly reminded who He is, could could it be that our list is going to be shortened? Our list might be clarified. hey, hey, listen, in in, in the presence of Almighty God, some of these things don't seem quite as important anymore. That's the first thing that Nehemiah does, is he praises God. He wants to to get in, in his mind the God that he's talking to is a great, awesome, powerful, compassionate, loving, merciful God. Which is important, because what he's going to do next is uh, he's going to repent. By the way, I have an acrostic. It's going to spell pray. It just works out that way. I didn't make it up. I I came across it. Somebody else put it together. Really smart. Um, So so he starts with praise, and then he repents. Look with me at verses 6 and 7, because he doesn't just repent of his own sins. He says, "Let Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer, that I now pray to you. Day and night for your servants, the Israelites. Look at this. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. In other words, he says, listen, so he's repenting for his own sins. God, I have not followed your commands and statutes and ordinances. I haven't done the things you've told me to do, and I've done some stuff you told me not to do. But not just me. So I'm also praying for my father's family. and, And listen, in the context in which he's speaking, he's not just praying for his immediate family. This is a way of him praying for the entire nation of Israel and this remnant of Judah listen we we know we've turned away from you and we understand you told us that if we turned away that that this would happen to us we didn't believe you we turned away this has happened to us and now we are repenting when's the last time well first of all let me ask when's the last time you repented of your own sins When's the last time you went before God and, and repented of the sins of our nation? When's the last time we, we got on our faces before God and repented of the sins of our church? Our community. Oh, come on. There, there, pe- people are still going to act wickedly and people are still going to turn away from God. Will, will, will one person repenting for, for the nation make a difference? Come back in, over the next three months and see what one person does who is centered on God. See what his repentance leads the nation of Israel to do. Now, listen, I think all that's important. So it's not, it's not enough just to repent of like, sins in general, right? Oh, Lord, your people have turned away from me. For, forgive us all our sins. No, no, he repents of his own sin. Both I and my father's family, so he's not passing over himself there, right? He said, "Listen, I'm I'm complicit in this." So, so it starts by confessing your own sin. Uh, in case, and again, in case you have like you're not really sure what to pray in that moment, um, other than uh, you know, just Lord, um, um, I messed up. I don't really know what to do with this. Psalm fifty-one gives us gives us an example of what of how King David repented. When he had sin in his life revealed to him. And by the way, just, just as a refresher, um, this is after um, Nathan the prophet came to David and pointed out that, that he had committed not only adultery, but ultimately murder to get his own way. And so we're not talking like he told a white lie, right? I mean, adultery, murder. So, so like you talk, in case you have a hierarchy of sins, these are pretty near the top. And and this is his prayer to God. Psalm 51. For I am conscious of my rebellion. that, that That doesn't gloss over anything, right? God, I have rebelled. I understand. I've committed treason against you. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty... When I was born, I was sinful when my mother conceived me. He's repenting. And here, here's the thing about repentance and confession. It's simply agreeing with God about your sin. But that, that's all it is. It's, I messed up. You said this is sin. I agree that this is sin. And now I'm going to turn away from that. Um, if your God never disagrees with your behavior... You, you might not be following the true God. Is, is your God big enough to disagree with you? And, and what do you do when that happens? I, I'm, I'm learning more and more. A lot of people in our world, and I dare say a lot of people in churches, have a God who never disagrees with them. That's not the God of Scripture. <laughs> and that, that's, that's not the one true God. So, so listen, if your God never disagrees with you, if you never feel this tension of, hey, I messed up and I know I shouldn't have done that, but if your God's always going, outstanding, good job, and never saying, hey, you know you, know you did that? This is what I said instead. If your God never does that, you're, you're not following the one true God. The the believer's life, listen, the believer's life is marked not by perfection, far from it. Not even on your best days will you even come close to perfection. Believer's life is marked by a pattern of repentance and confession. That's what marks a growing, maturing believer apart from someone who who is frustrated with their faith and not understanding why they're not growing because the, the growing believer will say, God, there's so much in my life that I know doesn't need to be there. I don't want it to be there. I thank you for your grace and mercy and forgiveness that's available to me every day in Christ Jesus to help me turn away from that and to forgive me when I don't turn away from it. So, so, so he's praised God for who he is. And listen, when you get a picture of who God is, when, when you read Psalm 145 and it's talking about his greatness and his mercy and his compassion, if that doesn't bring up some sort of sin in you, like if there's not some realization of, oh man, this is who God is, that, that means that this is who I am, you need to go back and read it again. Because every time when we're faced with the holiness of God, that should bring up unrighteousness, unholiness in us that needs to be repented of. And only then does he go into his request to God. So, so listen, let, 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 me be, let me be honest. I, a lot of times my prayer life, I, go, um, I, I jump in and I say, Hey, Father, here's what I need. <laughs> here's, here's my list, right? My, my, for lack of a better word, my, my Christmas list. I, I have a short list of demands, right? Here's, here, here's my calendar. If you'll just sign your name at the bottom, we can get on with this thing, and, and, and we'll be set that's not how God operates. So when I spend time praising him for who he is, and then I spend time repenting of my sins, that affects the requests that I bring to God. And only after Nehemiah has done those two things does he then dive into his request. In chapter one, Nehemiah chapter one, uh, beginning in verse eight, going through 11, going through the end of the chapter, this is what he prays. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. By the way, what he's doing here is he's reading God's word back to God. That's a really good way to pray, right? Reminding God or or, um, reminding yourself of what God has said. And I just just think God loves to hear his words repeated back to him. Not for his sake. I say he's not there going, oh, yeah, I, I did tell Moses that, didn't I? No, it's reminding you what he said. Remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. This is his prayer. Lord, I'm trusting that you will be faithful to your word. Because you told us, if we're unfaithful to us, you will scatter us. And he goes, that's happened. We, We were unfaithful, you scattered us. But there's a second part to your word. That if we return to you, you'll restore us. And so we return, we're returning, will you restore us? And then he asks for favor or success in verse 11. And compassion in the presence of this man. By the way, this man is the king. All right. And then in the next, at the very end, the last sentence there, we're given a glimpse into who Nehemiah is. It says he's the king's cupbearer. He is a trusted advisor to the king. His job was to test all the food so that if something was poisoned, he would die and not the king. He is, you think there wasn't a great deal of trust between the king and Nehemiah? Nehemiah is about to go into the king's presence and, hear, and, and ask that he might be sent back to repair the walls. Now here's why that's significant. Nehemiah is really the second half. It's it's the sequel uh, to a two-part book, part two in a two-part book that that begins in the book of Ezra. And so Ezra and Nehemiah go very closely together. In Ezra chapter four, the king halted work on the wall. He commanded that work on the wall stop. Ezra 4.21, this comes from the the words of King Artaxerxes. He says, therefore, issue an order for these men to stop so that the city will not be rebuilt until a further decree has been pronounced by me. Now, if you are familiar at all with Mel Brooks, he taught us a very important, uh, um, taught us a very important principle in his movies. It's good to be the king. Okay? It's good to be the king. Because the king could say whatever, right? I mean, he could make whatever pronouncement he wanted, and you had no choice. You didn't get to vote him out of office. And so here he is a few years back who is, who has said, I'm going to stop the work on the wall. And until I decide it's time to start back, there won't be any work done on the wall. And now fast forward several years and here's Nehemiah about to go into the presence of the king and say, "O king, let the work resume. You think he's not a little bit nervous? Like you kept, you catch the king on a bad day and you can lose your head literally, right? I mean, if the king loses, loses his head, you're going to lose your head. That's how it that works. And so, so the last part of this pray acrostic that we see here is yield. Yield to whatever God's leading you to do. And this is where we act in God's timing. And listen, so you might be praying about something and God's, God's response to you is, wait. Not right now. And even though you're, you're, maybe you're itching and, and chomping at the bit, I'm not a very patient person. So when I pray, I, I pray urgently like God now would be good. Yesterday would have been better, but today's good too. And that's not the way he operates. He's completely unconcerned with your schedule. He doesn't care about your calendar. He doesn't care about your 10-year plan. He's going to act in his timing, and his timing alone. Our job is to yield to his timing. And here's what we see. So remember, uh, Nehemiah got this news in the month of Kislev, which is November December, chapter 2, verse 1, during the month of Nisan, that is March and April in our calendars. Nehemiah has been praying for four months before he goes into the king's presence. When's the last time you spent four months praying for clarification before you acted? Not, well, let's try this thing. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, let's try this thing. But we just said, I'm going to pray and wait. And until God moves, I'm not moving. For four months, Nehemiah wept and mourned and fasted and prayed, waiting on the Lord's timing to address the king. And then, when the opportunity was presented himself, he acted. So, so there are two dangers when it comes to yielding to God's timing. That, that we'll be... Um, that, that we'll jump the gun. We'll try to do things on our own. Or we'll hesitate too long. Well, how do I know... How, how, how do I know when God's timing is then? Because if I act too soon, I could mess it up. And if I, and if, and if I, don't, if I don't act when... If I wait too long... I might miss out on the opportunity as well. So how do I know you're connected to God through prayer and through his word? In tune with him, praising his name, repenting of sins, making your requests known to God, walking in fellowship with him so that when he speaks, you're ready to listen and ready to act. Chapter 2, let's uh, let's read verses 1 through 8. During the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was set before him I took the wine and gave it to the king I had never been sad in his presence so the king said to me why are you sad when you aren't sick this is nothing but sadness of heart so I think Nehemiah has been praying for an opportunity God you open the door I can't just I can't just approach the king and say hey king I've been thinking Here's what you should do. So God, you've got to open the door. And all of a sudden when the king asks, hey, I've noticed you've been been kind of down. What's what's the deal? Nehemiah recognizes this this is his opportunity. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, what is your request? So look here. So I prayed to the God of heavens. I, I, I don't think this is another four-month prayer. This is one of those quick, God, give me the words for what I'm about to say. I've been, been, been coming before you for the last four months. You have opened this door. Now give me the words. So I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. The king with the queen seated beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. So so, so here's another portion of this. He's been praying for four months. He's also been making preparations for this time. Those two things are not in conflict with one another. Nehemiah knew he was going to eventually have to act. He spent time praying. And, and as he was praying, God led him to prepare so that when the king finally asked and that opportunity was presented, he just didn't say, um, that's a good question. I'll go talk with some of my guys. We'll get back to you in a couple of months. No, he was prepared and he said, this is, I gave him a definite time. This is how long I'll be gone. This is how long it'll take. This is how many men I need. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River so that they will grant me the safe passage until I reach Judah. Let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I will live. The king granted my requests for the gracious hand of God was on me. Now what on earth does this have to do with as we're walking toward revival? Do, do, do we need to pray for God to send revival among our community? Yes. Yes. This, this last Wednesday night marked 40 days until our revival begins. One month from next Sunday is when our revival begins. So, so what do we do in the meantime? We pray. We pray, we pray, We pray. We pray. But listen, not only did Nehemiah pray, he prepared. He was ready to act when God moved. So so what does that look like here? We we, we pray, yes, and and we pray that that God will move among people. And then we go and we invite people. While we're in the middle of praying, we invite people to come. And we're prepared when they walk through the doors. And pray that God's already at work. And, and our prayer and our preparation and God's timing line up. And we see a revival in our hearts. And we see men, women, and children come to Christ for the first time. So, so, so here's, here's what Nehemiah doesn't do. He doesn't just... He doesn't just lay out his plans. God bless him. Like I said, you just just rubber stamp my plans, and and we'll be good to go. Thank you. Um, He also didn't say, "Lord, send somebody." Lord, Jerusalem's in a a bad spot. Send somebody to go fix it. Here's what that might look like: Lord, send somebody to reach my neighborhood with, with the gospel. Father, my neighborhood's lost. Got got neighbors and friends who don't know Christ. They they need to hear the gospel message. Send somebody to preach. And God's sitting there going, "I did." Lord, my neighborhood needs the gospel. Yep. Send somebody. I did. Who'd you send? You're there. That, that, Put you there. Don't ask me to send somebody else. It's why you're where you are. I, I'm just crazy enough to think that nobody here is living where you are by accident. That, that, that you didn't just randomly come across a house or an apartment. That, that, that God has placed you in specific places as an agent of his kingdom. Whoa. Right? I know. Baptists don't talk that way, right? Well, listen, y'all, I did something crazy yesterday. I uh, went to a discipleship conference in Albuquerque, and we went door to door. And you get weird looks when you go door to door. What church are you with? Well, I mean, we were honest. We're, we're with different churches. I'm in Alamogordo. This guy goes to Sandia. This guy goes to Paragon Church. Uh, no, really, what church are you with? <laughs> well, we're 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 Baptists. You're not Jehovah's Witnesses? No, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Every, almost every single time, I kid you not. And listen, as soon as they found out we weren't Jehovah's Witnesses, there was like this, this wall that came down. And then the next question was, Baptists don't go door to door. Yeah, no, we, we have not. But y'all, it worked. I was taught it didn't work. That's what I was told in, in, in Bible college. Can't go door to door anymore. It doesn't work. People won't let you in. They won't talk to you. They opened their doors. They talked. It was the wildest thing. It's almost like the, the Bible works where, where he says, go. Like if, you, if you go and, and, and if they don't receive you, then you go to the next place. And if they receive you, then, then you, you spend some time there. How, how crazy is that that, that? that still works in real life. So yielding, yielding to the Father. I mean, sometimes we gotta let insecurities go. Oh, I I don't know what to. I don't know. You know what we did yesterday? We just went and we 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 said, "Hey, can we pray with? Is there anything we can pray for you about?" We're we're walking through the community, walking through the neighborhood. Anything we can ask God to do for you today? And, And and a lot of people, in fact, I would say the majority of people are like, "No, we're good. Thanks. Okay. Go to the next place." I know, listen, it's probably out of your comfort zone. It's not out of my comfort zone, big time. But here's what we see. Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, when Jesus is about to do something that's way out of his comfort zone, i.e., die. This is what he prays. "Pray, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. I'm not excited about it. If there's another way, let's do it. Nevertheless, not my will, Yours be done. This is when we yield. God, this is what I want to see you do. This is what I need in my life. But not my will. Yours be done. God, I know I, need, I, know I got a neighbor that's lost. I really don't want to go talk to him. So, you know, you can send somebody else. Please, let this cup pass from me. Send, send it to somebody else. But, but if not... Not my will, yours, yours be done. If I need to go over and strike up an awkward conversation, let, let's, let's go. So Nehemiah is not just about rebuilding a wall. It's about a nation turning back to God. And it's about revival breaking out in the nation of Israel. And so in modern times, good grief, could, could it just be about... A church in Alamogordo experiencing revival through this book? Could it be about a community in New Mexico experiencing revival? And seeing what happens when we are yielded to God's plan. And so what I'm going to do as we close, really simply, I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer. So if you're if you have your outline on the back side is just this outline, the praise, repent, ask yield. Time for you to, to take and maybe make some notes there yourself. If you're on the, if you're on the Bible app, uh, you have a place in, in each of those where we covered it to, to put notes in. I'm going to lead us in, in a time. We're not going to drag it out. It doesn't have to go on for hours. On Each Wednesday night, from now until our revival begins, we are going to spend time praying for revival. So I would invite you, even if you've not been coming on Wednesday nights, to, to come join us. We have dinner at 5.15. We we have our prayer meeting that starts at 6 o'clock, where we're going to spend time praying for God to send revival. Praising, repenting, asking, and then yielding ourselves to what he has in store for us. So if you will, bow your head and close your eyes and, and spend a few minutes... In this, I'm going, to, I'm going to lead us through, and maybe as we're maybe as we're um, walking through this, God brings something up to you in, into your mind, and you either want to jot it down. That, that's that's fine. That's why I put that on the back side of your outline. Maybe you just want to take that and stick it somewhere in your house where you'll see it. And it'll be a reminder that to to spend some time in prayer. Spend just a few minutes walking through this, and then I will lead us corporately um, through through each of these four areas. we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you are a great, mighty God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We praise you that you're a God who was not satisfied with us being separated from you for eternity so you made the way to bring us back into relationship with you to redeem us by sending Christ Jesus to pay our sin and our penalty on the cross. Father, we know that in so many ways we fall short, we turn away, we we decide that, that our own path is better than the one that you've laid out for us. And so we repent. Repent of sin in our own lives. Repent of our sins as a church where we have been too timid to follow where you're leading or thought that we were too small, didn't have enough money. Repent of our sins as a nation, of our turning away from you and putting anything and everything imaginable in the place that only you deserve. Grace and mercy that's available to us through Christ Jesus. Father, we ask for your presence to break out among us and in our community. That as we move to these dates that we've put on the calendar, they wouldn't just be a, a series of extra church meetings, but that we would see revival break out among the members of First Baptist Church, among the community of Alamogordo. God, we don't know how to reach this community on our own. We, we, have, we have some strategies, but, but we're, we're no good at implementing those on our own. We need your presence, we need your wisdom, we need your guidance, and we need your grace. So over the next five weeks, will you show us what it looks like to reach our community. Will you put men and women in our path that are asking questions that we can't sidestep, but that we are, it becomes clear that that we have an opportunity to share who you are. Oh God, will you call us to step outside of our comfort zone and just walk through our neighborhoods, getting to know folks and asking to pray for them and just see where that leads. Father, we yield ourselves to you. We, where where you go, we will go. Where you lead, we will follow. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.